Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Once again, on behalf of my wife and I and our entire team, we wanna say happy Easter to you again. Wanna say happy Easter to the Milestone family and then all of our guests. We hope if it's your first time joining us, this is really our sincere desire that you recognize there's a group of authentic, real, loving people. We call it spiritual family. We, we know that there's a lot of people coming in, but we hope you feel that. And uh, I'm a little bit partial, but I think they're some of the greatest people on the planet, most sincere, most loving. I'm honored to be your pastor. I wanna welcome those that are watching us online. Welcome those that are in our video venues, two of them here at the Keller campus. And we're excited about Easter this year. I tell you, there's a lot of expectations when you come to Easter, you know, there's a lot going on. Now, some have more expectations than others. Uh, some are just trying to get the Easter stuff out of the way, but uh, I know there's a few that maybe we think about. I started thinking of those. I'll tell you about one of mine. We gotta have a little candy poll, come on now. Who, who in here are the Reese's peanut butter cup people? Come on, a lot of you. How many of you can handle the Cadbury egg, raise your hand. Come on, that's a little bit more radical. My man back here is like, mm, I got one. You can only eat one, then you're just like, whoa, okay, I'm dying, you know. I found a new candy, if you're interested. This is Chip the Bunny. He um, actually is milk chocolate-like. <laughs> He's, uh, he's, he's uh, vegan, uh, he's kosher, he's, um, he's nut-free, he's gluten-free, he's sugar-free. We, we don't know what chip is made out of. We, we really don't. I'm, that's a dark, peep-like substance, probably, that will live in your digestive tract for the rest of your life. But he's $14.95, and there's no help for you because they're sold out, okay? So they're sold out, all right? We got all the Easter clothes. Come on now, everybody's got their Easter clothes on, especially the little ones. My wife's been going around buying, you know, get that family picture there. So I thought I'd show you my little nephew. He's big into holidays. This is him on Turkey Day right here. This is him right here. He stayed with me not too long ago, and my middle sister, she said, Jeff, now he's, he likes to run around, you know, you can't lose him. I said, all right, well, he's sleeping beside me, you know, so I just put him right up in there beside me. The next morning, it's real early, I kind of woke up, I looked over, his eyes were wide open. He said, let's get up, Uncle Jeff. I said, let's not, let's rest a little bit. Let's just, just kind of let the day kind of come into big, you know. He said, I got to get up. I said, why? He said, I got boogers in my nose. <laughs> but this is him last Easter with me right here. Come on now, my man is styling and he's profiling. Come on now, he's got the... So we got the Easter clothes, right? But then I need to help our community, okay? Now I feel as a pastor, I'm part of the community and I always feel like I need to help us because things can get out of control. When I coached little kids, baseball and different events and stuff, this is an area where things got out of control. They started saying, they sent emails to me. Parents would say, you're not a good coach because you're not, you're not, not getting us a good halftime snack. I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute, minute. halftime snack? We didn't even get a snack, okay? We, we had like a water hose that was like mold in it and stuff, like around behind. Come on, anybody, a child of the 80s, you know what I'm saying? We, they fed us salt tablets and stuff, you know? 
this is an area that's out of control. I've got one in college, a freshman in college, one headed to college. I got one about to be a freshman coming up and I got an eight-year-old and my eight-year-old is a product of today's advancement. She showed me the other day, she said, Dad, this is my Easter list. She has an Easter list. <laughs> Guys, we're out of control, okay? It's got all kinds of stuff, swimsuit, flip-flop. She said, my front teeth, JK iPod touch, and you know, if possible, just throw an Alexa up in there, come on. I mean, I said, Lainey Kate, there's no Easter list. The Easter bunny does not have elves, okay? He's a rabbit with eggs. We don't know how that happens, but anyway, he, he doesn't have elves. You don't get toys. You're getting a basket from Dollar General you're getting some fake grass and a new dress. Come on, somebody, and a pile of candy, okay? Look, we're out, we're out of control, okay? <laughs> no, nonetheless, we also have a spiritual expectation on Easter. You may not know that you do, but we do. That's why you're here. That's why you're coming to worship, and you're like, okay, what's the spiritual expectation? And for 25 years, I've been doing Easter. I started as a 21-year-old pastor. I didn't say I was a good one, but I was a 21-year-old pastor. And I always get excited because there's, there's a sense in people that this God part of our lives, well, where do I go with that? There's just something that starts drawing them. And so I started thinking about this Easter and I started thinking about the tension that we bring in. We bring tension in, we bring pressure in, we, we bring in stress, we have things at work going on, we have family situations, we have health diagnosis, we have pressure, we have tension, and one of the big ones is we have tension in relationships. We have relational tension, maybe with your father, or your mother, or maybe a child, there's, there's tension there, and you, a lot of times you don't know what to do with it. I don't, I don't wanna minimize everything about Easter to just that, but you may be surprised to know that the very tension you live with can be dealt with by even what Jesus did on Easter. It, you could walk in, here's been my prayer, you could walk in to this service one way and leave more light, more free than you came in. I wanna tell you how that works practically, but before I do, I wanna tell you the Easter story I'm always looking for a unique, fresh way to tell you a story that's about a historical person and it's not a religion and an ideology. It's, it's built around a person and his life and his name is Jesus. And so I wanna tell you the Easter story in a fresh, unique way. Then I'm gonna come back and we're gonna unpack it and we're gonna bring this power. See, Easter has to, it has to become powerful in the way that it moves into your everyday. So we're gonna move this into our real lives, but let's first look at the actual story. Watch this with me. This last year, I spent some time walking where Jesus walked, studying, writing, thinking, while I was there, I couldn't help but think about you this Easter. I thought if I couldn't bring you with me, maybe I could bring the story back to you. It's a story that many of you have heard and maybe some of you might hear for the first time, but I wanted to tell it to you in a fresh way. Starting in the last day 
the very last 24 hours of Jesus' life and then walking in a garden and thinking about his final steps. And then I want to go to the place, the tomb, and I want to read the passage that is the real reason why we're here today this Easter. Jesus knew what was coming. He had known for many years. The night started with a celebration. He shared the Passover meal with his disciples. History would remember it as the Last Supper. But on that night, there was reflection, betrayal, and many comforting promises of hope. After the meal, Jesus went down to a garden at the base of the Mount of Olives to pray. As the weight of the world was pressing on him, the stress was so extreme, some of his capillaries burst, causing him to sweat blood. But instead of running away from God, Jesus pressed deeper into his Father. He prayed and cried out to him. He asked his closest friends to go with him and pray. They agreed, but three times he went to check on them, and all three times they were asleep. More than the sting of betrayal, Jesus felt the crushing weight of all the sin of the world closing in on him. The problem came into the world in a garden, and now the Son of God had returned to a garden to forever make right what had gone so wrong. Jesus could have called down an army of angels to his defense, yet he chose to lay down his life out of pure trust and obedience to his Father. Judas brings a mob of people to the garden and drags him away. He's falsely accused, thrown in a dungeon, beaten to the edge of death and forced to carry his cross through the streets. As he walked to Golgotha, he passed those who had been changed by his words, his healing touch, and his life. Because of Jesus, they had seen God and experienced the power of his kingdom. And now their greatest fear had come to pass. The light of God had come into the world and now that light had gone out, beaten and broken before their eyes. He said, it is finished. And he breathed his last breath. There's no doubt that this moment changed human history. And so I'd like us to look at Matthew 28, verses one through six. We're gonna look at these verses together, but preceding this, 
We see, in fact, because there's some theories that, well, what happened here and what we're about to read, it, it wasn't real. You know, Jesus wasn't really dead. He just sort of passed out. Of course, we know from the description of Scripture that, in fact, there was a physical beating and physical things that happened to him that, that he knew because he, he knew about crucifixion and he knew as he went into it, he would experience that, but there's no way any human being could survive first the torture, but then on the cross, we know a spear was stuck in his side and blood and water came out. But even more importantly, as we read the preceding scriptures to what I'm about to show you, Pilate was concerned about it. The one who sent him to that brutal death for you and I, he was concerned that there would be some kind of fake thing happen or that his disciples would come and steal the body. So he himself said that, look, there's a deception that can happen. He even referred to Jesus as deceptive and said, go put a guard in front of this tomb. Put a special seal in front of it, in fact. So we make sure that nothing fake happens in this moment. So with all of that and that perspective, we read what happens right here when it seemed like hope was lost. At the darkest moment, right at the darkest moment, the light begins to shine, Matthew 28, after the Sabbath on dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were like white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They were paralyzed by that moment. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was just crucified. And these are the most powerful words that have so much hope for every single person who trusts in what happened here and through the person of Jesus Christ. He is not here, he is risen just like he said he would. You know, as we think about that moment, we think about being close to Jesus, this moment, no doubt, changed human history. It changed the calendar. It changed even people that as I've been here in this moment that are coming from all over the world to find out about this Jesus that changed the, the, the education, the, the medicine, he changed our world. Whether you receive him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which I do, either way, I believe him to be that. I believe that this is a moment that happened. The fact is, every person has to attest to the fact that he made a massive impact on human history. But if you're willing to trust in who he is as a person, one who died, was buried, and yes, rose again, there's a whole different experience of being close to him. The fact is, it's overwhelming to stand in this place. Even as I walked up to this tomb, I found myself getting emotional, but we don't even worship this tomb. We don't worship the stone. We don't even worship the spiritualness of the place. We worship the person, Jesus, who rose from the dead.
It's a powerful story. Yet the most important thing about it is not that it stays as an antiquated story or just a historical event, but the real power of the story is when the story actually touches you where you live today. Some of you may be wondering, like, how, how does that really get into my real life? Well, you have to go back to what happened. See, this event changed human history, and from the very moment Jesus rose from the dead, his followers began to share his message, share his life, share his message of hope and freedom and salvation, and this message carried through them to the other disciples, and by the way, it was so real to them that many of them lost their lives because they believed in who this Jesus said he was. It then carries on to other people like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was one who was religious. He thought he was doing right, but actually he was against Jesus and he was persecuting Christians and he has an encounter on a road. And in this encounter, he surrenders himself to Jesus at such a real moment and then the Apostle Paul begins to share this message in places and there are churches that spring up just like what we're doing today. There's groupings of people that come together to hear the message at all different levels and different places and different stages. And I wanna show you how to bring this story into your real life. Second Corinthians chapter five, one of my favorite Verses 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. I'm gonna put it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I want us just to look at these two simple verses for just a moment. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 is where I would like to start because again, when you come to this Easter story, it's, it's really hard in just a little moment to really unpack all the ways Jesus affects our lives. The fact that he sets us free from our guilt and our shame, and our pain, and the fact he provides freedom for us, and healing in our souls, and you know, the word redemption means that he pays the price for us, and there's so many dimensions of it, but I really like this right here when it comes to really relieving this pressure and tension. Paul starts with in verse 20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors, you may be thinking ambassadors, what is this? Is this like a political thing? Is this, what, what is that? It just means we're, we're Jesus champions, we're, we're championing it. You know, it's, it's like if I find a good restaurant or I find a good product or something, you just wanna tell everybody. Well, Paul says, look, this is so good. This is so life-changing, we've begun to be on the sales team, like we're the ones championing it. We're Christ ambassadors, as though God himself we're making his appeal through us. Then Paul says this, we implore you. Uh, one thought about that would be not just we implore you, that's not a word we really use, we beg you. Paul says, I beg you, we beg you. So what, what would he beg us for? Some money, some more religious acts to try to become a better person? No, he says this, we beg you, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Maybe the tension and pressure that you're feeling around your life may be much deeper than the surface level things that you're facing. Maybe it's between you and God. Maybe it's between really that connection with him. This word reconcile, you're thinking, what does that mean? 
What does the word reconcile? If it's such a big, huge piece of the Easter story, what does that mean? Well, there's some of you, you immediately start thinking about calculations. You start thinking about maybe even numbers. It's like, I want things to add up. I want things to be right. I don't want a dish in the sink. I don't want this out of order. I want the project to be in perfect place. These people are not helping me keep my plan in place. Maybe I'm preaching to the wrong people today. It's just like, oh, I don't like anything out of order. I want, it, I want it right. Some of you young people don't know about these. There used to be something called a checkbook. <laughs> and you would get these statements and you'd have to take your statements and reconcile them with what you spent. And then you would have like two pennies out of place and it would just drive you crazy. One of my friends in college, he never even wanted to look at it. He's just like, man, I'm just gonna avoid that. It just had all his statements over there on the desk. You know, it's just like, let's just, let's just play like it's not there, you know. But, but a lot of us think of it in terms of like getting things in the place we wanted. All of us want our worlds to be right. We want things to be lined up. I think of probably a more accessible, more commonplace we think about the word reconcile is think about pain in a relationship you have right now. Think about how, you know what, I wanted it to be so right, but right now with one of my kids, it's so wrong. With a boss, with a friend, with a relationship with someone you care about. When there's tension in relationships, life just doesn't flow like it should. And there's just something we carry, and it's just like we can't hit the day the way we want to when there's some type of tension and something that is out of order. I experienced this as a newly married person Married my wife, 1995, we went on our honeymoon. When we're on our honeymoon, I'm, I'm embarrassed, this is why I gotta do a Let's Talk Family series. I was a pastor at the time, and uh, on our honeymoon, right there, the first stop, we had an argument. We had a real argument. Now, it wasn't my fault, <laughs> but we had a little argument. And then that night, she was like, we don't wanna let the sun go down on our anger, you know? And I was like, well, it's already dark, you know? So knucklehead me, you know, I just went to sleep. I learned something as a young married man. The next morning's not so good. The next day's not so good. You know, if you're around someone you love, by the way, if you really love someone, you don't want there to be tension. The more you care about them, the less tension that you want. And I learned something about marriage. It's like, how are you doing? Fine. No, 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 no. We, we're, we're not fine. Uh, and I spent the whole day. It's like, man, I got to get this back up on my honeymoon. Y'all know what I'm saying. Come on now. Let's be real in church. Wasn't a lot of honey in the moon, you know. I mean, it's just like, honey was mad. And it was tense. And you're trying to deal with that. Some of you have that tension again. Maybe it's much deeper. Maybe it's between you and God. You say, what are some questions that we could ask? Let's ask them together. Maybe they're in the video venue or online. Here's one. Is God disappointed with me? Is, is God disappointed with me? Maybe we may go a little bit deeper and you may use language like, is God mad at me? Is God upset with me? I've had several people that I've invited to Easter and I've talked to a lot of you bringing your friends and you know, some of you, if your friends brought you, they care about your relationship with God. That's why they brought you here. And a lot of times, here's what you hear from people. You know, I, I don't wanna go there. I don't wanna go around God. Like the roof would fall in. Like I, it may spontaneously catch on fire, you know. Is God upset with me? 
I do want to define this. There's a reason you feel tension between you and God. Because if you're not right with him, if you haven't accepted the message of Jesus and the person Jesus Christ, there's tension between you and God. There's a thing called sin that separates you from him. It's real. It's real. There's a separation there. There's a tension. You're not in a flow and you're separated from him and that's a real, a real tension. But here's what I think is a missing element for a lot of people. Romans 5 actually says when we're not right with God, we can be enemies of God. Here's what a lot of people don't understand though. God's tone towards you is that I want to make it right between us. That's his tone. His tone is I love you. I love you. I wanna, I wanna connect. I wanna have a relationship with you. I want to save you. And so the tone is missing a lot of times because a lot of people don't know God. And the perspective they have of God has come from someone else that they don't really give the right accurate picture of God. So is God disappointed with me along the way is one that we feel. And you know, I, I thought about it this way. It's like, it's like text messages today. The average person sends 32 or receives 32 text messages a day. Young adults, about 100. I've had two junior high girls and it goes up by like four times, come on. So we send these texts and you know what? Have you ever had a text conversation with someone and it gets off and you're like, are we, whoa, what happened? That's why you have to send emoticons. The little rosy cheek one. I'm not mad, because the tone gets off. And a lot of people I find they don't connect, they don't reconcile with God because they don't know his tone. They don't know his tone. He's given clear standards, but his tone is I love you and when you see that goodness, you'll receive the gift of his salvation. The second one is not just is God disappointed with me, why am I disappointed with God? Very common from a lot of people, it's like I'm upset with God and God's okay with your honesty about that. As I've talked with a lot of people, a lot of times people make it like intellectual. They, they, they say, well, there's hypocrites at the church. By the way, if, if, if you let a hypocrite stand between you and God, he's closer to God than you are. It's like, well, there's, there's this, or the Bible has discrepancies, or what about the dinosaurs? And as I have for many years talked with people in that place, here's what I find. Really, the root issue is deeper, and it's more emotional and relational with God. Where were you when my business failed? Where were you when I had this health crisis? Where were you when my parents treated me this way? And we superimpose on God the injustice that we feel from people around us because people are broken. A lot of people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Here's, here's the fact, bad things just happen. Because we live in a broken world, bad things come. And by the way, if you let that philosophy, that thought keep you from God, then the fact is, all you're left is with evil if we remove God from the equation. The fact is, you can face the bad with God. God says, yes, it's a broken world, but the reason he went to the cross, he suffered the injustice, he suffered the oppression, he took the pain upon himself, is so that he can be with you in all of the injustice and pain and oppression and problems that you face. And so he comes into the bad. I wish I could tell you why. You're like, preacher, tell me why. I wish I knew. Here's all I know, we live in a broken world. This side of heaven, there's brokenness, but even if we knew why, it wouldn't remove the pain. So here's the way I approach life. I have challenging things happen to me. Health challenges with my kids, problems, Brandy and I lost a baby long term. 
I, I sometimes have that, God, what's up? I'm trying to serve you. But you know what I've learned? I can't make sense of all of it now, but I can face it with his love, with his support, with his strength, with his favor on my life. And so it's okay. I think about a person named Michael who came here to Milestone. His wife invited him in November, he came. He was a non-church person, I'm never going, I'm not into God. His wife said, just come with me twice. See, his mother passed away when he was little and probably a well-intended, uninformed person to the tone of God told him it's your fault in a religious school. Heaven forbid. He, he had to say, well man, if God's against me, then I don't want anything to do with that God. And he came here though, and he has what I love in his story. He said, I had like a, a spiritual allergic reaction because I felt the goodness of God. I felt the connection of God. And then over a journey and loving people who looked at him and said, that's not God. Here's who God really is. Around this time of year, he made up his mind. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to get right with God. He rehearsed what he would say to him. He started rehearsing this. I'm gonna tell God this. And so then he comes down at the end of the service and what was funny was he said, I forgot what I was gonna tell him. And God's okay. God saw his heart. And he came in, changed him. And Michael now serves here. It's an amazing story of being disappointed, being mad at God, but then seeing God's tone that changed his life forever. Here's another question though. You're like, Jeff, I got tension with God. I do, I have some tension there. I, me and God are not synced up. Here's a question we ask, how do I fix it? Because I don't know if I'm talking to any fixers out there, but I'm a fixer. You know, you end up with a problem, even a relational problem, you're like, I'm gonna fix it. And the more you try to fix it, the worse you make it. You're like, I, I was just trying to fix it. Now it's worse. We do that with God sometimes. I'm gonna fix it, I'm gonna get better. We come to an Easter service, we listen to a pastor talk about how much God loves us, we see the Easter story, we feel a stir in us and we go, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna become a better person, I'm gonna be a good person. This week I'm gonna stop sinning and by Wednesday you're sinning more than you were before you said that. Because you can't fix it. The story of Easter different than any other religion or ideology is you couldn't fix it so because God's tone is love, he made the first move and he completed it. I wanna show it to you in a picture. This passage of scripture that's, that's, that finishes our little moment in the scripture there in, in five, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21, this, this verse 21. I wanna show it to you in a picture and then I'm gonna read it to you. I was traveling one day and I, and I saw it, you know, just, you know, preacher, you're always just thinking about how to tell, share the message of the gospel. And I, I know it's a weird place, but traveling one day, I, I saw this picture of the gospel. How many of y'all have ever been in one of these? Come on now. How many of y'all travel? Come on, video venue. Come on, you travel for a living, okay. 9-11 changed how we travel. So what do we do? You know, you gotta take your belts off, you know, take your take your shoes off. Well, I got a hole in my sock. You know, my kids must've been wearing them. And then you're there, you know, in front of everybody. And, and, and then you got it. You got to go into the scanner. Why do you have to go to the scanner? Because over on the other side, we want it to be a protected place. We, we, we don't want any bad things over there. So they've got to make sure you don't have any bad things with you. You can't have any knives. You can't have any guns. You can't have any water. Um, and, and, and so they, they checked that. Well, I, I started thinking, you know, that's gonna be a lot like heaven. And, and, and a lot of times when I talk about heaven, people go, wow, that's a long time away. Look, we're all moving there real quick. We're gonna have this moment 
where we stand before Jesus. But even more than heaven, this is how you enter a relationship with God. We're gonna stand there before God. It's not gonna be a joke. You know, there's the joke, St. Peter, you know, and all these different things. Well, it won't be a joke that day. It'll be you and God. And a lot of people, when they think about it, they have different philosophies about how it works. Most of the people I've talked to, here's what I believe that most people believe. They, they, they come there and Jesus says, why should I allow you into my kingdom? Now it's perfect over there. We can't, we can't bring anything imperfect over there because we don't want any of that pain. We don't want any of that death. We don't want any of that injustice over there. So we gotta keep that place protected. We, we, we believe we'll stand there. Why should I allow you in? And we'll say, well, I was a good person. Well, that, that, that's interesting. Good compared to who? That's why you need a good heathen friend. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I... I'm better than that joker, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'll tell you right now, I mean. But, but, but God's not comparing you to your heathen friend. The, the standard is perfection. So if we're all honest, we get there. We can't say we're good. By the way, there's a narrative today. Everybody's basically good. Anyone who says that's never had a two-year-old. I didn't have to teach my kids to say, mine. We, we, we actually don't naturally lean toward good. We naturally lean toward destroying our lives through the effect of sin. That's how we end up. So we hit that moment and you go, well, what is the right answer, Jeff? Well, Jesus provides it for us in the Easter story. Maybe you'll see it different for the rest of your life. We come to that moment, we can't pass the scan. And Jesus says, move out of the way. This is the message. I don't know what message you've heard about Jesus, but this is the message. Scan me. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. I finished your performance to have a relationship with God. I dealt with the tension. I dealt with the sin issue. I dealt with the brokenness. I dealt with your perspective of God. I dealt with all of your questions. I dealt with all of it right there. And so that's the message of the gospel. You know, I want us to pray together, but I do want to also say to some of you, you may go, you know what, preacher? I don't really think that much about my relationship with God, to be honest. I don't really feel that much tension. You're like my friend in college. I just let the statements roll up and we'll just deal with that some other day. Can I lovingly tell you something as I've been praying for you this Easter? If you haven't investigated the tension with God, the people that love you the most, they see it. They see it because you can't love the people you love and care about the most unless you're loved by a heavenly father who accepts you, who reconciles you back to him, who brings you back into a right place. You hear preachers say, are you right with God? Are you right with God? I went to church, what'd they talk about? Did I get right with God? And a lot of times they're like, that's churchy, what does that mean? It means you're reconciled means you're in the right place. Does that mean you're perfect? No, but you have the perfection of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become, we might become something, not work towards something, become the righteousness of God in Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me. I'm gonna ask you that question. 
I'm gonna ask just for a moment, if, I, if you can, video venue, here especially right here in this moment, just, just, just no one move around unless it's an emergency because I believe this is in a holy moment, an important moment that God's been bringing some of you to. Are you right with him? Are you reconciled to him? He so desperately wants to be reconciled with you. That's the message of Easter. So right where you are, you say, I do, Jeff. I wanna, I wanna get in a right place with him. I wanna be reconciled with God. You say, how do I do that? Well, I'm gonna pray a prayer. It's my words, yes, but it's really your heart. And I'm just trying to help you with the words. But just tell him, Jesus, I know things are not right between you and I. I know I've made mistakes, he knows. Just tell him, you, you know, you know me inside and out. I made mistakes. There's been separation between us. But I wanna receive this reconciliation today. I wanna receive this right place. I wanna receive this gift. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive today, so I receive you today as my Jesus, my personal Lord and Savior. You prayed that prayer. I'm gonna ask everyone just to keep their heads bowed for a moment. I'm not gonna embarrass you, not gonna make you stand up, but I have a gift that I wanna give you that's gonna help you in this journey now that you've made this prayer. And so if you would, just look up at me if you prayed with me, would you? Even in the video venue or right here, just look up if you prayed with me. Awesome, 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 I see you. The ushers are in the aisle. Slip your hand up discreetly just so they can see it. I have a gift that I wanna give you. What is it? It's a Bible and it's a book that I wrote that's about Jesus and it'll just help you get started. Slip your hand up, thank you. Anyone else? Just slip it up, they're right there. You can put it down after you get the card. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? They're up in the balcony, get that. I see your hand, sir. Greatest decision that you'll ever make. Just pause just for a moment. Anyone else? Just, just slip your hand up and someone will bring you that card right there. What a powerful moment. I think about how Easter will be different for those of you that are making this decision forever and ever and ever. It will be a day of celebration because of the decision that you're making. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, let me say this last thing to those of you that received a card. When you walk out these doors in just a moment, there'll be a lot of people, but there's some green banners and there you can get that gift from me. There's a team there ready to serve you. We'd love to help you start your journey. And the final thing I wanna say to you is, next weekend on Sunday after our 11 o'clock service, right over here in this room where that's full of people right now in that video venue, we're gonna have what we call Discovery 101. It's for any of you that wanna know a little bit more about Milestone Church, but one of the things I love is I'll be there. I want you to, I wanna meet you and I wanna hear about your decision. It's just exciting to me. So come to Discovery 101 next week. We'll have the details for you and uh, we wanna hear about your decision. Can we all give a round of applause to people in this room accepting Christ? Let me, let me pray this, this prayer as well. There's some of you who, you know Jesus, but things aren't right. Maybe things aren't right with him, maybe things aren't right in some relationships. And God, I pray right now, because you finished the work of reconciliation, making things right, I pray that every person leaves with a, a, a free 
atmosphere around their heart and life, a lighter load, a better ability to prioritize what matters today. Help us, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your freedom and your life this Easter. We celebrate the fact that you are alive in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 